I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show we're in the money so many so many so many damn books welcome 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 thanks so much for showing up this is so many damn books i'm christopher and uh, I'm Drew. Did you have to remember your own name for a second? Now? Sometimes you have to remember, man. Um, here we are. Here we are. Oh, here we are in the fine Dr. Dr. Studios in uh, Brooklyn, New York. Oh, Doctor. Yes, Doctor. Uh, every, time, every time I hear Dr. Doctor, I think of that scene from Muppets from Space. I think of spies like us. Doctor. 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 Oh, all right. All right. I don't, I don't know which one of those is, is better and or worse. Uh, they're both worse. Great. So today we have been chatting or talking or thinking about this whole uh, Margaret Atwood and the Centennial book thing. Yeah. Where, um, if you don't know what it is, basically um, this organization. She's an artist, I think. This so it's a woman who's like behind the whole thing. Organizator. But <laughs> it is an organization, but there's an artist who's involved. I, I, want has, her to, I want her to have business cards that say art organizator. <laughs> I don't know. She's from a Nordic country, so maybe the translation on the business card. <laughs> is art. <laughs> anyway, the concept of, the, uh, of this thing is that they are going to grow trees book trees, trees that are specifically used in the making of books. And it takes a hundred years for one of these forests to mature. And uh, in that hundred years, they're choosing an author whose book will be printed on these trees, but they, uh, the book won't come out for a hundred years. Yeah. And the first person that they, uh, they nominated for this wonderful, strange thing was Margaret Atwood, which makes a lot of sense. To me, if because oh, there's no one in the world more concerned about the future than her, <laughs> and uh, her trilogy is you know back on trilogies. We just can't let those go. Yeah, we can't from week to week. It's a dystopian <laughs> trilogy too. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've planned this. It's all part of it. <laughs> it's one of the overarching themes. Yep. Um, and uh, it's and you know. When you think of a Margaret Atwood and you think of her amazing trilogy, which I actually haven't finished yet. Me I didn't either, read Mad but, Adam. But it's because I didn't like... <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, Shit happens. So yeah. many damn books. So many damn books. Um, and it's an, it's an interesting thing because in some ways it's like, 
who do you write for? Your audience. She has this audience that is uh, currently alive. She does. Uh, and in a hundred years, they most likely won't be. Yep. Um, I mean, I I now have to figure out a way to live for a hundred and one years because I figure right now, if if I can maintain the same reading pace when I'm right. one hundred and twenty seven years old, which is unlikely. Although yeah, maybe see, not. Yeah, I don't. Unless something crazy, unless something Margaret Atwoodian happens. Yeah. Uh, I would. I you know I want to be out by seventy five. Yeah. Know? I mean, let's let's be real about let's, this. Let's put the pull the curtain. You know, <laughs> seventy five might even be sticking around a little. <laughs> fifty seven, huh? All right. Luke, our uh, our producer, uh, says fifty seven. Uh, which. Honestly, if you maybe a tight forty, you know, in and out. I mean, if you've done a lot, you know, <laughs> if you've done a Douglas Adams worthy amount of work, <laughs> you can get out by forty three. Yep. And it, and people will mourn that loss more. Yeah, than that me. is true. Than the guys who stick around, the 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 Philip Roths who are just still kicking, and they who've quote unquote retired. Yeah. What what are we talking about? <laughs> right. No, an author. <laughs> what, who, what other author should die? Let's, let's get out of here. <laughs> let's make this dark. Um, no, uh, I am very curious about what that book is because you know she's of she's doesn't of course need to continue writing future dystopian books, but it is sort of curious what she could be writing for this. Especially because we more likely than not will never get to read it, yeah. which. It's that weird thing of like there will always there will be more books published every year and so we will never read all of the books. But this is like this book exists already, but we do not get to read it. Yeah. And that's odd. Yeah. But in kind of a cool way. Yeah, I like it. I like it. And I and I think that um the whole idea of it it sort of calls into question the idea of a legacy and the idea of uh of you know, the whole question of Oh sure, let's. Does it stand the test of time? It's sort of like a cheat code that she's entered. <laughs> yeah. That she's like, well, I don't need to stand the test of time. I need to at least just like get you know published by this hundred year paper book tree Dang. company. <laughs> um, and I, one of the nice little details is that they've also uh, preserving a printing press, just in case, and, and the directions how to use that printing press, <laughs> just in case, just in case a California or Station Eleven type of end of the world happens. Yeah, um, but you know the of course question that you must ask yourself after reading something like this sort of news article is who who else would be interesting because they are going to choose more authors. Yep, every year. Every year is yeah. going to be a new one. I personally, uh, I think Daniel Handler would be an interesting. Ooh, very good. <laughs> just because. He's so interesting, and I'm really, really... He has a book coming out next year that I'm crazy excited about. That we'll talk about on this podcast. Let's just announce that right now. Yeah, for sure, right? Yeah. Um, I, all I know is it's like oh, about a girl uh, in modern times who decides to be a pirate. Yep. And I just really, like, I'm already on board. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that's interesting, because he, he can move between the adult and child worlds in a way that's very interesting because his children's books are still written with the idea that adults can read them and enjoy them. One of my favorite gimmicks in the, um, in the, cause that book is, those books are full of little gimmicks. Oh yeah. But one of the best ones is, um, it's, there's some, it's, I don't know. I think an elevator shaft, they, mm-hmm. 
like the rope breaks or something and um you turn the page and it's just completely black and then the next page he's like sorry i didn't want to write anything it was too thrilling <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah like he, he apologizes it's like i i i wanted to get to it but i had to just give it a pause. <laughs> i love that stuff and i just think that like someone who's so playful with the form and mm-hmm. and is doing such interesting things in storytelling already like he could, you know, he might write something very good and very interesting for that, for the 100 years in the future. I'm going to go not entirely to the other end of the spectrum, but okay. kind of, because he hasn't really written anything interesting in a little while. Um, Brett Easton Ellis. Oh. Here's okay. the thing. So, uh, uh, hang on. <laughs> I'll, let me just His first couple of novels were so... Of a time period. Sure. It's the late 80s, the early 90s, and he captured in a way that very few people have done since the time that he was living in and the world that he very specifically was like coming through. Okay. I feel like in terms of the the time capsule aspect, Mm. if he was writing with no regard, because like his last novel, the like semi-sequel to Less Than Zero was Imperial Bedrooms, it was called, because it had to be named after Elvis Costello song. Was ridiculous. You know, I don't want to. I'm not going to speak ill of anybody. <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of. I'm not a fan of the work. But you know, it's just like I'm not the audience. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that I personally didn't connect to it. But I don't connect to his work, and um, and I don't. I, I guess I could examine that further. But it's it's strange. Like for the people out there that I'm sure don't enjoy Margaret Atwood work. There are more people who don't enjoy Brett Easton Ellis than who don't enjoy Margaret Atwood. Maybe I think I think that because I I know a lot of people who are doing exactly what you just did and being like no I'm turning this podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's just a, he's a polarizing character and he he enjoys that. Like he, he does. I don't I don't think that Brett Easton Ellis it feels any compunction to to come and punch us for making fun of him on this on this podcast. <laughs> on this podcast. And anything this is what he was always hoping for. But so that idea that removing him from the immediacy of his audience. That would be interesting. I I agree, but I just feel like you know, he he can't stop writing a 90s novel. And maybe that's fine for a, the time capsule uh right, 115 years from the 90s. But uh, you know, I kind of want someone to write a zeros novel as as Atwood and Handler would be. That's true. Teens, I well, guess we're the teens again. I guess that raises the interesting question as this project goes forward, because eventually there will be somebody who it's writes like, a novel, and then a year later it gets published, and it's like a normal, it's a normal yeah. thing. Um, that baby was just born. <laughs> not even that 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 child will not be born for eighty years, maybe. Who knows? That would mm. be a prodigy, maybe, but seventy years. There you go. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting, though. It's a it sort of just sparks the imagination, as all time capsules do. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you ever want to spend a delightful afternoon, go on Wikipedia and search list of time capsules. You'll see all oh, sorts great. of awesome, interesting things. Okay, uh, I'll see you later. So, uh, so, so, so. So, I have no segue. Do you have a segue? I do. I have a segue. <laughs> You can segue. Speaking of time capsules and things that have become somewhat outdated. Sure. Um, pen and paper games. Sure. Well, yeah. Um, this is this is an interesting thing. Uh, games in in books. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's sort of like a 
as as the book industry is is struggling to make print not viable but essential mm-hmm. there's different little things that they're trying to do and um you know they've got something like uh jj abrams and doug dorse project s and the ship of theseus book where it's like it's got like sort of a game factor built in where it's got all these pieces to the right. book but even more so there's a there are i just feel like there's this, an, an interesting trend of just games and books at all and um and john darnell's I'm going to say masterpiece. Yep. Wolf in White Van, which we're going to be discussing in a minute, um, has a very interesting game uh, involved in it. But there's like a long history of really interesting games and books. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can even think back to it's not necessarily there are those books where like I remember the there was a series called the Crossword Mysteries in like the late <laughs> '90s, early 2000s that like had crossed six or seven crossword puzzles in the book that like gave you clues to the mystery. I have, I think that that's really funny. Those, those are like the, um, the, uh, the, the baking mysteries. Or yeah. Something where, like, <laughs> like there's like recipes <laughs> so but, you can eat what the detective is also. <laughs> yeah. As the detective's like, mm, let me think about these clues while I'm like sifting dough. Yeah. Yeah. A lingonberry scone will help me get through <laughs> this mystery. <laughs> um, but even even childhood novels, like I remember the Westing game, oh. and sort of trying to figure out the the clues that are layered okay. throughout that, not necessarily in the traditional, like, at the end of a chapter, so now what happens? But right. There were clues that were given so that you could try to figure that story out before the characters. And in the other way of games, too, um, there are things like... Uh, like just like uh, the in in Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, there's mm-hmm. that wonderful chess game that Ron plays at the end. Yes, which I don't know about anyone else, but I wanted to be better at chess after after reading that. And also, I really wanted a wizard's chess, and I don't understand why that's like the one product that, <laughs> that, that hasn't come that out Universal yeah. hasn't hasn't capitalized on in some way. I mean, I just feel like that's a really easy iPad game, and I don't understand why it doesn't exist already. Yeah. That's wizard's chess. Um, we would like to claim some royalties on that. Yeah, if that happens. Well, we're, we're the <laughs> official Rowling, you know that idea that you had. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, the author, D.B. Weiss, who's actually one half of the um, showrunners for Game of Thrones now. He wrote a very interesting novel called uh, Lucky Wander Boy, mm-hmm. which... Um, one of the really interesting things that goes through the book is at the beginning of every chapter, he's including that his character is writing like um, an esoteric philosophical treatise on uh, um, early arcade games. Nice. And um, he he's hits a snag writing the book because it's a, it's a game that he never beat called Lucky Wander Boy. And he ends up working at this um, strange Hollywood studio which has bought the right, who still owns the rights to the movie version of that video game. Cause he's just trying to track down a console so he can play it again. So he could finish writing his book. And it's a really strange book, but it's like sort of, you know, this came out in the, in, in like 2005 or 2004, you know, before like the Chuck Klosterman think piece yeah. became like something that everyone has, you know, in their back pocket now. And, and he, I mean, like his breakdown of like, there's like a millisecond of time when you, um, when Pac-Man is off the screen, when he goes into the tunnel that you can Mm -hmm. appear on the other side, he like 
spends five or six paragraphs like talking about like the <laughs> metaphysical implications of that split second where the, he's off the screen. And like, it's riveting. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But so speaking of pretending, that's the whole thing. The, the game in Wolf and White Van, mm. um, Trace, Trace Italian. Italian, and the several other games that are less popular. But the, the whole idea is that you are sort of, that people uh, live in these games outside of the bounds of whatever the game is. So Pac-Man, yeah, it's a, it's a joystick. These games, it's pen and paper. Mm. But they sort of, they're, to sometimes to people's detriment, the, these games become them and they start living them in a way that is uh, potentially dangerous. And, and it, it's an interesting way to look at a character is how they play a game because it's very much, it's sort of distilled the psychology of, of motivation. And, um, and so it's very good shorthand. At the same time, it's, I think it's very difficult to get right to yeah, explain. It can, it can come off like a BuzzFeed quiz. Yeah, exactly. Like the, uh, there's an episode of Community, the, the television show where they play Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. The second time. Yeah. And it's just, and it, it just didn't feel, it just felt like, like a writer's room playing Dungeons and Dragons rather than the group where it doesn't, it didn't feel as connected. Right. Considering that first episode is Which one is of great. the most amazing pieces of 22 minute television ever created. 22 minute. That's the amazing thing about sitcoms to me. Yeah. So much story and character in 22 minutes. Anyway. This is this is not that podcast. Yeah, this is a different podcast. Well, before we go any further with, with Wolf and White Fan, uh, do we want to go to an excerpt? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, we should set this up a little bit. Shouldn't we? Yeah, I guess that's true. It, yeah, well, he's, of- so he, through a childhood accident, um, he, has, he has deformed his face. Yeah, and it... it from moment one, we know that this has occurred. This accident has occurred. And but you don't know why or exactly how. Mm-hmm. And it, it has shaped uh, our main character's whole life. Mm. And also, you know, it as much as you're thinking... And, it, and in the recovery of... Uh, in recovering from this incident, he came up with his game, Trace Italian. Yeah. So you see what where, where choice sort of enters into the game. Um, so this, uh, this is from the middle of the book. They freeze up when I open the door. You can see it happen. They're in a sort of imagined forward motion when my door opens, ready to launch into whatever pitch they've come to give. And then the sight of me arrests them mid-swing. Wielding this kind of power feels different from what I imagine people who crave power think they'll get if they ever get their wish. Because this, this can't be what people want or maybe it is and i just don't really understand how power works i think sometimes but then i think about it some more and i think yes i do know something about how power work pow- <clears throat> or maybe it is and i just don't really understand how power works i think sometimes but then i think about it some more and i think yes i do know something about what power is how it works what it's like i do know I mean, it's so, there, and the whole book is passages like that. Yeah, these incredibly deep, layered thoughts, reflections on life, on morals, on the way that we interact with one another. It's almost like John Darnielle had practice fitting 
interesting wordplay into a small three and a, a half tiny, minute spaces somehow. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know where. You know, I never listened to the Mountain Goats until after I had read the book. And I mean, it's astonishing. The, yeah, the stuff that that band does, the wordplay. But also, I mean, musically, it's a phenomenal fun. band. Yeah. But the the lyrics, my God! Of course, this guy wrote a book. Well, yeah, it's sort of like a the real mystery is why it took him so long. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of a casual fan of the Mountain Goats f- since high school. But uh, this is the first. This is something that I think is even better than anything he's ever accomplished uh, in that band, which is is unreal because like. You know, I I've, I went to an acoustic show where um, he played a few songs at a reading, and uh, everybody in there knew every word to all of these songs. Wow. Like I was like the one person who's like, "What?" <laughs> Looking around at all these people just singing along, and all I like, it's just one of those things where it's just like, "Yeah, this guy needs to write a book, and he's going to do an amazing job." And and you finish this book, and you you're I I sat stunned. Me too. And it, that is something that I feel like people say, but that so rarely does it actually happen. I remember finishing it, sitting on a bench, uh, looking out of the East River, and just sitting there for a good 20 minutes. Right. And just sort of, like, whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, if that's not enough recommendation to go check this out, I don't know what is. And if you've already checked it out, I mean, there's there's a, there's so much. I mean, it's a really short book, and there's so much to parse out and, and go through. And Trace Italian is just one of its You said things. something to me once, uh, right after both of us had, had read it. You were like, I wish it was real. I mm. wish Trace Italian, and it's... You know, what's for- funny is um, he also wishes it was real. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he, uh, I went to an event uh, where he and um, John Hodgman discussed the book, and... He was just like, yeah, I made up a text adventure before knowing that they existed. <laughs> and then when I found out they existed, I wanted to play one immediately. And so he like paid his money on a PayPal to like a uh, to one of these um, text adventure games. And it like denied his credit card. <laughs> and it's because like it's it's a website that for some reason it's been like they still pay their hosting fees, but they haven't like conducted a game since like 2006 yes so so yeah it's a it's i actually downloaded um a text game called a dark room Mm -hmm. which if you've uh if you have ios and you loved trace italian in a book it's a pretty good um ios text adventure game really fun there's something i think that that we will never see again unless you know a Station Eleven California dystopia occurs, um, but that I, the the delayed gratification of the experience. Yeah, you know we can download iOS games because a dark room is amazing. It's, yeah, but that idea of having to you get your your next move or whatever the next chapter and you read it and you're like okay um, I'm gonna write back and be like this is what I'm gonna do next and there are even there are descriptions of this in the book these like filing cabinets full of possible outcomes right for this this storyline this just this world that he has created inside of his head slash on paper and he's there are moments where he's like no one will ever see these some of these outcomes because they are so far down one particular rabbit hole yeah that that's 
Yeah, they would die before they would get there. Yeah, but it's it's such a cool idea that like you would have to wait. Yeah. yeah, and you're like looking at the mailbox in that way that I think I only look at the mailbox when I know, like, okay, I've I've ordered something from Amazon. But all right, so waiting for my Powell's indispensable ah, subscription. Oh yeah, nice. Yeah. But like that <laughs> sense of like looking at the mailbox and yeah. being like, is it here today? Mm. No, it's not here today. Yeah. And the next to be like, ah, it's here, and you like you race upstairs to open it. Yeah. I feel like that that sense of playing a game that way and having to wait is something that has been lost. Yeah. Tragically. Tragic. Well, anyway. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) On on that note. On that note, uh, what do you, what do you recommend in in lieu of um, male text-based adventures? Um, Let's go completely to the opposite. Um, Even I'm, you, you meant male in terms of, the Postal Service. I did. Um, but I'm going to use male in terms of dudes, even though Wolf and White Fan is a book for dudes and for ladies. Um, it's for everybody. A novel called Rainy Royal Okay. by a woman named Dylan Landis. Um, set in New York in the 70s. It's this young girl. She's in. She starts the novel in 10th grade, and it sort of follows her into her early 20s. What made you pick this up? Was it just a good review? or I got it, uh, of all things, I got it at, the book expo this past year. And it was one of those things where it's published by Soho press Mm. and they're a a publisher who I genuinely, if somebody says like, Hey, they're putting out a good book. I'm like, all right, I don't need to know anything more about it. It has a beautiful cover. looks like several layers of wallpaper that have been ripped off. Yeah, it's cool. But so it's this young girl living. Her dad is like a famous jazz musician in the West village in the seventies and sort of trying to figure out what it means to discover your own life as an artist while dealing with shadow. all of these. Yeah, in the shadow of these incredible people. Mm. But it's just, it's a great New York novel. It's a great novel of like a, a very specific life in sort of almost short stories. Mm-hmm. And there's just, there's something about, you know, the way that like the light sort of starts to fall in New York as the year winds down. Mm-hmm. Ah, it just, it, the book feels like that looks. Okay. That's a that's a that's a poetic recommendation, Drew. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I apologize. Uh, no, it's good. Don't apologize. Don't apologize. <laughs> Read the for book, who, though. Read the book. <laughs> don't apologize for who you are. Thanks, man. Uh, when does that come out? Because is it? Out? Um, I believe it has. It. I believe it came out. Depending on when you're listening to this, <laughs> it has either come out a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago, uh. um, or a couple of years ago. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's 2020 and you have no idea what we're talking about. That's right. That's right. This is our hundred year podcast. Yeah. Yeah. You're reading Margaret Atwood's new novel and you're like, what should I read from a hundred years ago? Yeah. The answer is Rainy Royal or Christopher. Uh, I actually, um, I'm going to recommend a book that also kind of feels like a game, you know, in the way that like, like S as I, I was talking about earlier. Um, it's actually a trilogy which you can pick up for, for pretty cheap used now because it was pretty big in the late 90s. But this book by Nick Bantock, uh, The Griffin and Sabine Trilogy. So uh, they're really beautiful, beautiful books. And they look sort of like children's books because they're very thin and they're like 9 by 11 hardcovers. But they actually, um, each page has a postcard and the art reproduced because both of the characters that are sending these letters back and forth in the book are artists. And as they start to send postcards, they also send letters 
So every page you start to like open up an envelope and pull out the letter and it's in their hand. And it's cool. sort of very exciting, you know, being able to open up someone's mail in that way. But it's a very interesting story where uh, this woman contacts this artist and starts describing uh, the art that he does. But she's never met him and she's never seen his art in person before. Huh. And so they need to figure out why they're connected. Cool. Yeah. Griffin and Sabine. Nice. Anyway, thanks for listening. Indeed. Um, uh, next time we meet, we'll be talking about... What are we talking about? In, insert thing here. No, we, we, seriously, what are we... What are we... Um, what are su- we talking Supernatural enhancements? Uh, it just feels like it's not going to be a... Horror store? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, the next book that we're going to read uh, for October or for fun or for fall is Horror Store by Gary Hendricks, published by Quirk Books to look like an Ikea manual. Yeah. A friend so. of mine who had a terrible experience with Ikea, I got the book and I showed it to him and he, he had a visceral reaction and then saw that there was like a spooky face in one of the pictures on the cover and he was like, that's how I feel about Ikea. It's haunted for him now. Yeah. Yeah. Just like the book, I guess. Spooky. Boogie books. I don't know. I think it's over. All right. <laughs>